This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Tom and Brandy with you on a very busy morning from Wednesday down at our studio in the Blue Zone of COP28. We've been looking at all of the pledges that have been released so far and their economic impact with one of the economists from Emirates NBD and weighing them all up with Mr. Sustainability himself, Carl Fielder, the founder and CEO of Neutral Fuels. We've been looking at what might come out today when it comes to transport. Today is looking at the built environment, so construction, uh, but also transport as well with John Kelly. He's the Rolls-Royce president for Meta. Uh, the aviation engine people rather than the car people. Um, Also going through the pledges made so far and putting them in context for us, Sarah Townsend, senior editor of Arabian Gulf Business Insight. Well, we're on COP Watch this morning for you uh, because we are broadcasting live from COP28. We're down at our old Expo studio in the heart of Expo City. Um, we are trying to bring you all the latest uh, from all things COP. Obviously, it's still early doors on day seven of the event, uh, but already plenty uh, of stories emanating from the previous couple of days. Uh, in fact, we've asked a number of our guests today to sort of try and sum up um, First week of COP as we come to the first full uh, calendar week, if you like, of uh, all things COP. Um, Let's talk pledges if we can. Yeah, we've had a couple of signings. They are the most important things, but pledges equally important. Uh, This is the sort of commitment, if you like, from certain nations and delegations. Uh, Dan Richards has been looking at some of those that have been agreed so far uh, at COP28. Dan's the senior economist, Emirates MBD. Uh, And we asked him to give us his take on the pledges so far, uh, but also the potential economic impacts or knock-on effects, if you like, of said pledges. I think the COP28 summit here in Dubai has got off to a pretty strong start. Now, of course, there is always more to do, but if finding agreement on such important and impactful matters between 200-odd different states or with differing stages of development and economic agendas was easy, then it would all have been settled long ago. And these are all essentially economic issues in one way or another. Uh, The cost of climate change on economies around the world has been very clear in recent years with those weather events from Pakistan to Australia and the severe cost involved in cleaning up after these and putting things right again. So all of these steps taken already at COP, such as the pledge to triple renewable energy by 2030, will have concrete long-term economic impacts. But even aside from the economic impacts of keeping global temperatures down, the pledges made at COP, especially in terms of the commitments to invest in green energy, will vitalise economies around the world in the coming years by creating new industries and new jobs. And this is not least the case in the UAE, where the renewable sector is an increasing focus given the net zero target. And this week, the UAE Banks Federation an organisation which represents some 56 different lenders in the country and all the major banks has pledged to make available $272 billion in sustainable financing in order to facilitate the UAE hitting its target. Dan Richards, Senior Economist, Emirates NBD, has mentioned something of a COP theme for us this morning with good reason as well. Um, And given the fact it's Transport Day, uh, Brandy, we were talking to the team from IATA. Yeah, indeed. Kashif Khalid's Regional Director, 
for this region. At IATA, that is the air transport body. They've just released their November numbers. Uh, we've got international passenger traffic at just over 98% of pre-pandemic levels. Passenger demand recovery continues on track in October. We released our latest figures which show that total traffic in October 2023 measured in revenue passenger kilometers or RPKs rose nearly 31.2% compared to October 2022, which means globally traffic is now at about 98.2% of pre-COVID levels. And domestic traffic for October rose nearly 34% versus October 2022, driven by the triple-digit percentage growth predominantly in China, and was above nearly 5% of 2019 um, or pre-COVID levels. When we look at international traffic, it's nearly 30% up compared to the same a month ago. All markets saw nearly a double-digit percentage gains year-on-year, and international RPKs reached nearly 94.4% of 2019 levels. Yeah, and of course, those numbers are broken down into different regions. We spoke to Cash about this region. Closer to home for the Middle East, the airlines in the region posted a 24.1% rise in October 2023 compared to a year ago, whereas capacity rose nearly 22.2% and load factor climbed 1.2 percentage points to 80.6% overall. There was little impact at the regional and global levels from the Israel-Hamas war despite reduced airline operations to and from Israel. It's Keshav Khaled, the regional director of IATA. We're going to hear a little bit later on, speaking of aviation, uh, from the guys at Rolls-Royce. Yeah, they were in studio a little earlier on. John Kelly, who's the president of the Metro Region. Uh, Rolls-Royce, not to be confused with the cars. So how do you explain that one? So there's Rolls-Royce Holding PLC, which is the holding company. That's the British multinational. Then you've got Rolls-Royce, which is the aviation and power supply element they're the ones that do the engines Engines. and power supplies and then you've got rolls-royce motors yeah from memory the difference other than the fact that a plane engine looks quite different from a car um is the hyphen no i think they've changed because they've all no they both got hyphens they've all got hyphens now haven't they um it's in the name i think i think it's holding rolls-royce plane and then rolls-royce motors and then I think there's a couple of other divisions as well. I've thought for years that you could tell by the hyphen. I think that I think it, that might have that might I'm have been the case back wrong. in the day. Um, but I, I think that there has been a sort of bringing of it all together under one umbrella. One hyphen that will rule them all. Right, exactly. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. COP28 uh, is approaching its halfway break, if you like. Uh, tomorrow is a general day, which means that there will be a cease to sort of formal negotiations. You can't stop some of the informal negotiations going on, but it's also opportunity for a little bit of a stock take as well. Uh, lots of big news coming out in the first couple of days of COP28 here in the UAE. Uh, but that's also come with uh, some pretty forthright comments uh, from the president of the ongoing UN climate talk, Sultan al-Jabbar, who has uh, time and time again hit back at uh, some of the claims from international media about um, his position uh, as president of an event like this. And also, uh, he more recently has denied a core part, uh, the claims that he denies a core part of cl- climate science. Uh, all these contributing to the ongoing narrative. But 
What of that narrative? Well, let's get a sort of bit of a stock take, as I said, from the founder and the CEO of Neutral Fuels, uh, also an international speaker on all things net zero, long-term resident of the UAE, and therefore, of course, perfect uh, guest to give us a little take on what things have been like so far. It's a good morning to Carl W. Fielder. Morning, Carl. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Not too bad. I mean, we were told and this one was stacked up as it was going to be a momentous cop it was going to be a game-changing cop etc the evidence we've got so far how would you rate it i reckon so far so good actually uh, i'm cautiously optimistic that this really is going to achieve everything that everybody hoped for it in terms of the um, the, the, the invites that went out, I mean, that, that, they raised a few eyebrows as soon as the UAE were announced as hosts of COP28. But they've been very open about trying to bring all the sort of informed parties and all those invested in climate around one table. Is it working? Well, I think it is, actually. I mean, it's a courageous decision to, to put somebody who's obviously a businessman in charge of, of COP. And that really showed some insight. We've had 27 previous COP meetings that have all had a main target of trying to reduce greenhouse gases, and yet greenhouse gases have gone up by 44% since we started the COP process. So I would argue as a fellow businessman that maybe it wasn't working so well before, and putting somebody like His Excellency Dr. Sultan in charge has definitely changed things. And he's not shied away from some of the comments as well. Times were that maybe, you know, a few of the international comments that came out, be it the BBC report, be it, of course, these latest claims from some journalists as well, that they might just be brushed under the carpet. But the fact that it is being addressed head on suggests to me, Carl, I don't know if you read it that way, that, you know, we're here to talk. If you want to talk about things, then this is the opportunity. Well, it was always going to be somewhat controversial because of the history of the way that COP came about. But honestly, business people are used to addressing really big challenges. We're used to dealing with trouble trouble around the world. We're used to being criticised, to be perfectly honest, because not everybody wants to hear the message. It, It isn't a simple message. It isn't black and white. This challenge has taken us nearly 150 years to get ourselves in this pickle, and it's going to take us a while to resolve it. I mean, we were told that this COP would be different. It was going to be different very, from the very fact that it was being hosted by an oil-producing nation. Um, how else is it different from ones that have gone before? I think the major difference is the amount of, of influence that business has over this particular proceeding. The, the fact is that business people understand that net zero, which everybody keeps coming back to, is actually about numbers. Net and zero are both numerical concepts. And you can't do climate change mitigation if you're ranking yourself on smiley faces. And that's what's been done thus far, is people saying, how are we we going on reducing our carbon footprint? Oh, it's a green smiley face. Well, that's no good. We need decimal points. We need actual numbers that we can measure, and we need things to be done independently. So I was really, really encouraged to see 118 nations signing up to trebling the amount of uh, renewable capability that's going to be available by 2030. But the most important thing about that was, as any good MBA student will tell you, that goal is specific, it's measurable, it's achievable, and it's relevant and time-bound. It's smart. It's one of the smart criteria. You have to have goals that are specific and measurable. And that's what the business people have brought to this process.
And that's that's a phrase that you've used time and time again, and is being used a lot more. This is this is this is a climate conference with a che- with a difference because it's a climate conference which it seems to be a lot more business orientated. A lot of people might snipe at that and go, okay, but isn't that not profiteering, etc. But as you're saying, you need those manageable frameworks to work in. Well, also the fact is that. Essentially, greenhouse gas emissions are a business problem. They were created by business decisions, and they're going to be resolved by business decisions. On Monday, I was privileged to speak in the green zone, and the lady that was sitting next to me is in charge of one of the largest logistics companies' sustainability program, and she reported that her company last year emitted 33 million tonnes of carbon dioxide. Now, That doesn't mean much to people, but the first thing is they're measuring it. The second thing is they achieved a 6% reduction year on year. And the third thing I would point out is according to the European Union's EDGAR database, 33 million tonnes a year is the same as 51 countries put together. And those 51 countries in the same time period that this logistics company reduced its carbon footprint by 6%, those 51 countries increased their carbon footprint by 3.25%. So which would you sooner have? Business people that understand about numbers, about setting targets, about KPIs, about reducing things and rolling out programs internationally, or people sitting around talking how they're going to do things that they actually have no real way of implementing? You mentioned at the top of our chat this morning, Carl, so far, so good, a good way to sort of um, wrap things up so far in COP28. Are you um, positive? Are you optimistic about what can be achieved throughout the remainder? I I definitely am. Uh, The other thing that I'm absolutely delighted about is the announcement that by 2050, based on the 2020 baseline, we're going to treble the amount of nuclear power provision around the world. We can't solve this particular challenge without using nuclear power. And for so long, there's been a real stigma about using it. Well, it is part of the solution. One of the first things I discovered 16 years ago when I started doing sustainability strategy for corporates was to find out that there is no silver bullet. There is no perfect one solution. We're going to need a range of solutions. We need to be able to measure. We need to be able to reduce our existing carbon footprint and then replace the old technologies with new ones. Carl, always good to catch up with you. Appreciate that you've got a busy, busy agenda at the moment. So thank you very much indeed for your time this morning. Carl Fielder, who is the founder and the CEO of Neutral Fuels. Carl's also a renowned international speaker on all things net zero and no stranger uh, to uh, the sustainability issues here in the UAE. In fact, he's been a key driver towards that for many, many years. So our thanks to Carl for joining us live on the line. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Focus on all things COP28. And of course, each day down here at COP uh, has a theme today. It's all about the world of transport. Day seven of COP28 is transport day. Uh, One brand that is very much involved and invested into that is the Rolls-Royce band. Remember that Rolls-Royce, a business established back in the early 1900s, today designs, manufactures, distributes power systems for aviation and numerous other industries as well. Part of the overall Rolls-Royce Holdings PLC. 
um, the British multinational aerospace and defence company. Well, Rolls-Royce very much here as they have been at the air show, very much here in the region as they have been for many years. The current uh, president for the Meta region of Rolls-Royce is John Kelly, who's been kind enough to join us live in studio this morning. John, good to see you. Thanks so much indeed for your time. Great to be here. So let's talk all things transport, if we can. Um, it's a, I mean, every day down here at COP28 is significant, and I think they've done well to design the different themes throughout the course uh, of the early part of COP28. But how important is this one for you and your team specifically? So you're right. COP has developed nicely through the, the day so far. Early, there was phenomenal success in terms of the high-level government mandates, 57 billion of uh, commitments to both the impacts of climate change and um, solutions. Today for transportation, um, Rolls-Royce is involved, as you say, in aviation, transportation and power generation. So today is really important. It's a good focus for us. Um, Building on uh, announcements and success that we had at Dubai Airshow, we've been pleased to announce that 100% of our in-service engines are capable of running on sustainable aviation fuel. And alternate fuels are a big focus. The reason for that focus is that the technology is available today and we can use it now. We can get the benefits. So we're really communicating and advocating that with all of the stakeholder conversations that we have. On the eve of COP, we had a great event with Virgin Atlantic Mm. uh, where they flew our engines on 100% SAF from uh, London in the UK over to New York, Um, a, a commercial flight. Uh, And again, it's um, a a symbolic show that SAF is a technology we can use now. One of the discussion topics we all have is, is it affordable? Is it viable? And again, the the progression there is we need the right government regulations. We need the right regimes. We need the right producers. So we're collaborating with a number of innovators. Zero Petroleum in the UK is one with a real focus to scale up. So, um, you know, remove the restrictions and get into uh, a price point that airlines can afford. Comments out from Willie Walsh, the boss of IATA in the last 24 hours. He's calling on governments to put policies in place to make sure that SEF is available, basically saying that aviation can't meet its targets um, if that doesn't happen. Who's it down to, governments or the private sector? It's a collaboration of all of us. And it, it needs all of those aspects to fall into place to actually get the scale-up that we require. There is a huge scale-up required. Um, The government regimes, whether it be mandates to force use or incentive through tax breaks, they will absolutely help. Um, The airlines um, showing that they will use it. Uh, Virgin Atlantic, uh, their CEO, Chavais, at the uh, 100% SAF flight said, if you make it, we will fly it. And that's really important because people need to invest in this. So they need to know there's a market. They need to know that the fuel will be used um, and that will help incentivize. Okay, so question. Willie Walsh also said last year we used every single drop that was out there. This year we're going to do the same. Mm -hmm. So the demand side of that curve is there. If I remember Economics 101, that's one of the hockey sticks you need. Absolutely. If the demand is there, why is it not being made at the scale at whatever price if people have got boxes to tick that it could be? number of factors. Uh, There there is uh, competing feedstocks. So the sources it's come from today uh, in terms of bio waste, etc., there's a limitation. 
there are solutions. Um, when we talk about some of our collaborations, synthetically manufacturing SAF will help that scale up significantly. It will also avoid competing for things like food. In certain parts of the world, that's a huge topic. So what we need is all of these technical innovations, the right regime, the right framework to incentivize it, and airlines that know they'll use it. But it certainly seems, and it goes back to your sort of original point, that we're, we're getting to a point here where you've got to have collaboration here. I mean, I'm looking at it from your point of view. You've got some of the greatest engineering minds in the world working for you, but maybe not specifically fuel creators. You can create the engines to put the fuel into and to fuel those, etc. but you have to sit around the table along with government, along with private investors as well. Is there enough of that going on at the moment? And that's the absolute beauty of COP right. <clears throat> as a process because it brings together all of those key players. For us, it's like a United Nations event and an air show all rolled into one on a global scale. Um, you do get all of the right uh, policymakers, you get the right government stakeholders, and they are the ones that will create the framework uh, for this to uh, transition. Um, and th there are technologies out there. Uh, COP, COP again also develops through its time. So next, uh, next few days, we'll move into a net zero nuclear conversation Rolls-Royce is involved there through our advanced nuclear. We have a, a technology called small modular reactors, um, which are lower investment, lower risk nuclear capability. And the reason that's very relevant is that can be a clean source of power for manufacture of things like sustainable fuels. So we, we can break this cycle of there isn't enough, it drives up the price, so airlines don't use it. We create a virtuous cycle. It is invested in, it is produced, then what we do know is that the climate benefits across aviation and wider sectors, transportation, etc., they can use that technology today and we can get the benefits for the greater good. We've got about a minute left with you, John. I mean, just in terms of what's been achieved thus far, but equally, you know, early days, early hours uh, of Transport Day at the moment, still another week to go of COP as well. Overall, are you sort of fairly positive about what's been said, what's been done down here already? As I say, top line headline announcements have been truly uh, groundbreaking yep. and will move. And the focus of investment, the focus on action, uh, I think that mandate has flowed through in, into everyone. There's an environment of people want to get things done. They want to say, right, what is it we're going to tangibly do? And that environment has, has really fed through. Um, as I say, our focus in Transport Day is around alternate fuels, innovative technologies, but really making sure we have all of the stakeholders aligned to make it happen. Uh, and that's the real benefit of COP. Really appreciate your time this morning. I know it's a busy Thank day you. for you. So thanks so much indeed for coming in and speaking to us here in our pop-up studio at COP28. Uh, John Kelly is the Rolls-Royce president for the Metro region. John, thank you. AGBI. Others tell you what, we tell you why. Right, let's talk all things COP. Why? Because we're there. We're in the very heart of it. And we're not the only ones as well. Obviously, you've got media descending on Dubai, on the UAE, from across the globe. And, of course, uh, all those with offices here uh, have been 
very much invested and involved in all things COP28. And I'm also the Arabian Gulf Business Insight, AGBI, who we team up with each and every week to get a little more insight into the business landscape. Their senior editor is Sarah Tansen, who's been kind enough to join us early doors live here in the studio. Sarah, lovely to see you. Thanks so much indeed for joining us. Thanks for having me on here. Right, let's turn our attention, if we can, first and foremost, uh, to the first uh, of our topics of discussion. And one that has pretty much... I wouldn't say overshadowed, but there's been certainly it's been something looming large, and it's this fossil fuel battleground. We almost had it put to one side at the beginning of the week. Why? Because we had the loss and damage um, uh, announcement, and that sort of took all the plaudits. But fossil fuels still very much on the table, correct? Absolutely, it really is, and I think it's very clear just how sort of emotive and divisive the subject is. Really, on one side, you've got the people who just want full fossil fuel phase out. And, um, you know, they very much think that it's, it's, it's not possible really to do both, to also be increasing hard hydrocarbons. Um, but then on the other side, you've got people who say this just isn't realistic. You need both in order to have a true energy transition. Um, so this is really interesting. We've interviewed sort of people from the Global Renewables Alliance. We've interviewed people from sort of uh, Arab, um, you know, nation representatives. And, you know, it, it's just very clear exactly how divisive the subject is. We were chatting with somebody just yesterday from S&P Global about about this at the moment, and one of the sort of comments coming from that was the need for the world to understand this sort of global south um, agenda for this. You know, turn your attention to some of the big fossil fuel users and providers at the moment, India, China being there at the moment. And yet, there seems to be, and again, this is all I'm hearing from chats that are going on in and around COP28, movement on this one. I mean, could we get this one across the line before the end of COP or not? I mean, I think, you know, we have to see what's in the final negotiation <laughs> text. Um, I think what people want to see is a clear sort of target set up, set out. We've had pledges, certainly on renewables, um, you know, um, hundred and I think it was something like 141 nations pledged to treble renewable energy um, by 2050. Um, and part of that, of course, is actually investing, you know, wealthier nations actually investing to help renewable energy capacity in the global south. Um, I mean, the UAE, of course, has been extremely proactive on this front, and they're perhaps sort of, along with Saudi Arabia, perhaps leading the charge in terms of increasing renewables capacity. But I think what people really want to see is actually some clear text in this, in the final negotiation, which really sets parameters around this and kind of says what needs to happen in order to get there. The trebling is up to 11,000 kilowatts. Um, so pe people need to see what's, you know, how, how the, the roadmap to actually get there. You can't have a conversation about fossil fuel without a conversation about renewables as well, the alternatives at the moment. Are we doing enough? Uh, is enough being done down here when it comes to renewables? Well, certainly the UAE, Saudi, like I said, are leading the charge. There's been a huge amount of efforts um, in the last sort of 10 years to really ramp up. There have been reports that say that up until maybe the last two years, the Gulf hasn't been doing quite enough. You know, it's got all of this potential. It's got yeah. huge amounts of sunshine, you know, solar particularly. Wind, experts say, sort of slightly less so, but there is you know, there's still a lot of potential. The other thing is that, of course, it's a lot cheaper in this region that compared to other regions. Um, there is a report that we'll be covering a bit later on today, which I can't say too much about because it's embargoed, but um, this is from the International Renewable Energy Agency, IRENA, who are based in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. And they're going to be saying, sort of, they're going to be outlining the reasons why they think the Gulf needs to do more. So 
definitely tune in for that later watch on. Watch this space. Yeah. Um, one space that we're also watching at the moment is this report that you've done in association with the British Business Group here in Dubai and the Northern Emirates. Um, you've conducted a survey. What were the findings? Okay, yes. So um, we've actually run two stories on this. The first one was about what businesses, what their priorities were sort of in the run-up to COP, what they wanted to see from COP, uh, what their own sort of um, personal sustainability objectives were and for sort of their businesses as well. Um, we spoke to 70, 72 of the business, of, of the members basically, of, of the business bis- British business group in Dubai. Yeah. So 79%, a, a massive sort of majority wanted to see recycling. Interestingly, we've not seen that much at COP so far on recycling. I think it's potentially one of those things that almost seems so obvious to the sort of energy efficiency debate that it sometimes gets overlooked. I've interviewed a couple of people in the recycling space in the last few weeks, and they are, you know, perhaps slightly sort of, you know, they want a bigger platform. You know, they want a bigger platform. Um, so that was quite interesting. Also, 58% wanted to see more investment in kind of water scarcity issues, um, conservation of water. That's a big issue for them. And then we also found that 26% of businesses have sort of accelerated their, their own corporate sustainability initiatives in the run-up to COP. So they know the spotlight's on them. Everybody's looking and everybody wants to see sort of action, not just pledges. We will, of course, watch this space, as Sarah was suggesting there, as will the team from AGBI. They've got a big team down here at COP28, including their senior editor, Sarah Townsend. Sarah, bless you. Thanks so much indeed for your time. Big thanks Thanks to Sarah and all the uh, AGBI team for joining us live here uh, in our pop-up studio in the heart of Expo. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.